0: The Cavalcade of America. It seems particularly appropriate that this broadcast of The Cavalcade of America, presented by DuPont, should happen to occur on February 12th, the birthday of that beloved American president, Abraham Lincoln who typifies so many of the fine qualities of American spirit brought out in this series. It is our privilege tonight to reenact several episodes in the life of this rugged, gentle, sensitive soul who knew few comforts but many trials and hardships and who triumphed over every obstacle through sheer depth of character. As you sit at your radio this evening amidst the comforts of modern life, give a thought to the work of the chemists who have made many present-day comforts possible. The ideal of the research chemist is well described in the phrase which has come to be known as the DuPont Chemist's Pledge. Better things for better living through chemistry. Nowhere in the cavalcade of America are the qualities and characteristics that we like to term truly American... So well exemplified as in the life of the man whose birthday we celebrate this evening. The DuPont Cavalcade Orchestra dedicates its overture to the memory of Abraham Lincoln with a specially arranged fantasy based on popular American themes.
1: 127 years ago today, Abraham Lincoln was born in a log cabin in the wilderness of Kentucky. In the all-too-brief span of 56 years, he arose from poverty, overcame a lack of education, and self-tutored. He dared believe that he was intended for an exalted career. But long before he became president, he was A, A young boy who, in his thirst for knowledge, borrowed every book within 50 miles of his home. One such book is the prized possession of a neighboring farmer, and young Lincoln comes to return it to its owner.
2: Good
1: morning, Mrs. Crawford.
2: The land's is today, Abraham.
1: Well, good morning to you, Abraham. Good morning,
2: Mr. Crawford. I wrote over to see you about the book you loaned
1: me. Well, well, now don't be saying you've finished the reading of it. It weren't more than a fortnight ago that you bought read it. Well,
2: much well, No but hurry,
1: I... no hurry at all. I won't have time to read it again till winter, anyhow. Mrs. and me are mighty proud to have a book like that. It's the only one of the state, I figure.
2: Yeah, I know. That's why it's kind of hard, hard, hard.
1: Yes, yes. Any kind of reading comes hard, especially for us folks without schooling. But it's a comfort. That book and the Reverend Weems on the life of Washington and and the Holy Bible is all the reading matter we have. Mr. Crawford,
2: I ruined your book, sir. It was that bad storm we had yesterday. The rain blew in through the cracks in the lodge of our cabin and got the book soaking wet. I dried it out, but
0: it's ruined, sir. Well, mm, yeah,
1: that's too bad. I I kind of set a big store on that book, the Books kind of scarce in these parts.
2: I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Crawford. And I haven't got any money to pay for it. Haven't you got some chore I could do, sir? Some plowing or helping you with the winter's wood? No.
1: But I'll tell you what you can do to pay for that book. I don't want to be hard on you. Now, suppose you give me three good days of corn fodder pulling.
2: Yes, sir. When can I start?
1: Well... Oh, suppose you to come over bright and early tomorrow morning?
2: Yes, sir, I'll come. I'll be here before sunup.
1: Young Abraham Lincoln tried his hand at many things as he grew to manhood. He clerked in store. He soldiered in the Black Hawk War. He tried surveying and for a time was postmaster of New Salem, Illinois. But his love of books and reading never diminished. In 1834, he and William Berry were partners in a general store in New Salem. We find them outside their place of business, sitting on a bench. Yeah, might as well sit here in the sun and sit inside the store and wait for customers that don't come. Can't you never stop eating names? I stop reading lots of it to do. gone here long enough to do it, as the mosquito said, as he started out of the fat man. Uh, yeah, but reading don't help none running a story. Mm, nothing seems to help. We're just so deep in debt here, Barry. I, I think you'll we'll have to change to something else. Yeah. You know, you're always talking about paying off our debt. No wonder I hear them calling you Honest Abe. What you likely to change to? The idea sometimes I'd like to be a lawyer. Lawyer? <laughs> Say, take a sight of reading to be that. Now what's that book you have there? Mm-hmm. Law book I put over to you Walked over to get it. Gone. Say, that's forty mile over and back. Mm-hmm. I had quite a part of it walking home. I don't think I got the right one. I need something that gets down to fundamentals. Ah, hello. There comes another mover. <laughs> Seems as if the world was moving west. Oh, boy. Oh. Hey, stranger. Are you over there? Yes? Want to buy something off this load for your store? <laughs> we have a good deal more now than we can sell on price, I can't hold his load no longer. Got to get rid of some of it. How about that barrel back there? That one tied off on with the fishing? Say, uh, a dollar? No, I can not. Uh, how about uh, half a dollar? Well, strange, if you need a half a dollar, here. Catch it. Oh, thanks. And keep your barrel. You might have
2: known you wouldn't make that far understand
0: anything. Yeah. I'm sorry, can't you see? I don't want that barrel more than I do want the half dollar. <laughs>
1: All right. I'll make the trade. I'll lift up the barrel. Hey, be strong. Why, that's the heaviest
2: barrel in the walk, wasn't it? You you
1: must weigh 200. <sighs> there, yeah. I have it, so I, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Yeah. Thanks, stranger. I, I ho- hope you won't regret your trade. <laughs> Yeah, get up there. Get up. There. Up. Get up. There. Well, aim. what have you got? I'm a I reckon. Oh, what's this? Oh, big book way down at the bottom. Commentaries on the laws of England by William... That's, yeah, it is just what I want. I reckon that settles it, Barry. For half a dollar, I've got my decision. These books are fundamental. Apparently, I have to be a lawyer. young Lincoln read and studied law diligently and was finally able to start in practicing in Springfield, the capital of Illinois. But he seemed always anxious to use his talents for those in undeserved distress. A wandering theatrical troupe came to Springfield with the leader, Joseph Jefferson II, and his handsome wife was their 10-year-old son, Joseph Jefferson III, who much later was to immortalize himself as Rip Van Winkle. Mrs. Jefferson is speaking to her husband as he and his company work on a carpentry art.
2: Joe, it looks beautiful.
1: Yes. Rough work on rough lumber. Makes a pretty good theater. What do you think of it, son? I think it's
3: grand, Father. I'm glad you and mother won't have to play in a barn in this place.
1: But hasn't it cost a great deal, Joe? It has. Every cent we saved in the tour. Oh, dear. Oh, I see we're attracting more and more attention. Here comes another group of pounds people to look at the theater. Uh, That man ahead, Mr. Jefferson, has been around here several times. Good. We're glad to welcome our future patrons. Good morning, sir. Are you the head man of these showmen? I am the manager and leader of a company of distinguished players, sir. We're bringing to this fair city the masterpieces of the immortal bar. Maybe, and maybe not. Tomorrow night, we shall delight you with Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. Maybe, and maybe not. I'm at a loss, sir, to understand your doubts. Mister, this is a religious town, and we ain't going to hold it no clear. I'm sure that by all law and order, we have a right to present these great plays without interference or molestation. Maybe, and maybe not. The town's been a-watching you uh, hammering up this new building, and we don't like it. It's a den of vice and signature setting up here. I'm an officer of the law, and unless you pay the money now... Why, there is no license fee. We inquired when we came four days ago. Oh, there wasn't then, but the Council of Springfield, good, righteous, and God fearing men, met yesterday and passed one, and a pretty considerable one too. I reckon there won't be any princes of Denmark around here when you've heard it.
0: I can use that lumber, Tim. One able to it. Here (laughs) on this
1: paper it says, by the authority of the council. No actor or association of actors shall present a stage play within the bounds of Springfield without payment of $500 for each performance. $500? Why, this is an outrage. That's more money than we could possibly clear in a whole summer season. And just so. Well then, perhaps you'd better pack up and go back where you come from.
2: uh,
1: I beg your pardon, sir. Are you in trouble? Great trouble, sir. This officer is virtually ordering us out of town and confiscating our playhouse. Oh. I've heard about this new ordinance. I have a copy somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let me Inside <laughs> my hat. Yeah. Might, Might I be of any help? <laughs> who are you? My name is Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. A lawyer. Yep, oh, not right. uh, <laughs> much of one, perhaps, but... Ready to take a case, like this.
2: Oh, sir, please. How can we thank you?
1: You're interfering with the law, Jim. I reckon that's what lawyers are for. Sometimes. (laughs) Mr. Lincoln, our troop can't find words to thank you. We'll pay you any fee you say, if you'll wait for it and if we can earn it. Well, as for the fee, Uh as for the fee, money is rather scarce with us just now, and if I win and you can manage it, I'd. uh, I'd appreciate a ticket to your play. Next morning, Abraham Lincoln appeared before the Council of Springfield, and his eloquent plea for the theatrical performers won the repeal of the unjust ordinance. Love of justice was the keynote of Lincoln's character, and many examples of this trait were found in his legal career. He would not defend a guilty person or press an unjust claim. But for those he believed unjustly oppressed or innocent of a crime, he was always willing to give what aid he could. One such case came to him while he was still in Springfield, practicing with William Herndon.
2: I don't figure you'll be remembering me, Abe. Uh, Mr. Lincoln, I mean. Well... Well, Hannah.
1: Hannah Armstrong!
2: Oh, you, you did remember. You did. I Re- I was afraid you...
1: Remember? Why, it's likely I'll ever forget the days in New Salem. Oh, that husband of yours. Is he still think he could out-wrestle me if, if it comes to a pinch?
2: Oh, you are the same. You haven't changed a bit. You're, you're older, of course, and you look kind of peaky, like you ain't been eating or sleeping regular.
1: Mm-hmm. But tell me, Hannah... Tell me about yourself. Oh, sit down. Sit down. You look kind of tired.
2: I am tired, Abe. And worried. That's why I've come all the way here to see you. I know if anyone could help it, would be you. They say you've come to be a right fine lawyer.
1: Oh, look here, Hannah. Don't you tell me Jack's gone and got himself tangled up with the law at his age.
2: No, it ain't Jack. It's Will, my boy you remember, Will.
1: Of course I remember. He used to play horse in my feet. He used to claim they were most as big as ponies. He must be almost a grown man now, Hannah.
2: He is, Abe. And he's in trouble. Terrible trouble. Oh, Abe.
1: Oh, no, Hannah. Maybe it isn't as bad as you think, most troubles aren't.
2: But this is. He's been accused of murder. Murder? Yes, they They're going to try him over to Beertown in just a couple of weeks. Everybody thinks he's going to be convicted. They say he hasn't a chance. But he's innocent, Abe. I, I know he didn't do it. I know it.
1: Oh, no, This There's no time to give way to tears. You save those for the jury. Suppose you tell me just what happened.
2: Well, it, it happened at a camp meeting near home. Oh, it's horrible, Abe. Oh, Will.
1: Just take your time, Hannah. Tell me everything you know.
2: Well, it it was last summer. A man named Metzger was killed. And and they've arrested Will because he'd had some trouble with him. And and the court has somebody that swears he saw Will hit Metzger over the head. Oh, Abe, I've talked to Will and he's sworn to me that he didn't do it. Will wouldn't lie to me.
1: I don't think he would, Hannah.
2: But the jury won't believe him, Abe. They won't, will they? No.
1: With just his word against that other fellows, they probably won't.
2: Oh. What are we going to do?
1: Well, start with, you straighten up your bonnet, Hannah. Yeah? We're going to Beardstown and find some way of making that jury believe Will's story. <laughs> seemed to be little chance that the son of Lincoln's old friends would ever go free. As the trial progressed, Lincoln seemed to do nothing but sit beside his client and stare out of a window. As the prosecutor finishes with his star witness, Lincoln gets slowly to his feet. Young man, you uh, realize you're under oath? Yes, sir, I do. That to lie is to commit perjury? Yes, sir, but... What I'm telling is the truth. You claim that on the night of the murder, you were standing 30 yards from the scene of the crime. Yes, sir. Would you mind repeating just how you were able to be so certain that the perpetrator of this foul crime was the defendant, William Armstrong? Well, sir, as I said before, it was a full moon. It was almost as bright as day. I saw young Will Armstrong and Metzger having an argument and pushing each other around and... All of a sudden, Will picked up a piece of iron and hit Metzger over the head with. Then he ran. And it was only because of the brightness of the full moon, high in the sky, that you were able to see so well from a distance of 20 or 30 yards. Yes, sir, that's it. If there had been no moon or a young moon, you wouldn't have been able to see what happened at all. Is that not true? Well, uh, yeah, yes, sir, that's true. That's as I thought. You have perjured yourself before this course. Your Honor, gentlemen of the jury, I submit that this witness, the witness upon whose testimony the prosecution hopes to convict my innocent client, has lied. I object. Mr. Lincoln must prove that statement. Order. Order in this court. Order. Upon what evidence and authority do you make this unusual charge, Mr. Lincoln? Upon the evidence and the authority of this book I hold in my hand. The almanac, in which it is clearly shown... That on the night of the crime, at the time the witness says the crime was committed, it was only a half moon. And instead of riding high in the sky, it was setting. Oh, Lincoln's years of struggle and failure before his election to the presidency and the trying hours during his administration are recorded in the very heart of the nation to which he gave his life. At the height of his career, a nation mourned his tragic death. But perhaps more than any other, his passing brought sorrow to his devoted stepmother, Sally Bush Lincoln. One evening, shortly after the president's untimely death, William Herndon, Lincoln's one time law partner, Visit the home of that kindly woman, who perhaps more than anyone else guided and counseled young Abraham in his formative years. He is shown into a neat little sitting room. My dear Mrs. Lincoln, I wish my visit might be on a happier occasion. I felt I must come.
3: You were his friend. It was kind of you to come. Won't you sit down, Mr. Herndon? Abram spoke of you on on his last visit.
1: Of me, Mrs. Lincoln? Surely in the troubled years that have passed, with the cares of the presidency, he must have had little time to think of those of us who knew him in happier days.
3: Being our president didn't change him, Mr. Herndon. Why, he even found time to come here, to visit me.
1: But that was only natural, his mother.
3: You forget, I was only his stepmother. Not his flesh and blood.
1: Oh, no woman could have been more of a true mother to him. Many times I've heard him say those very words. You were never far from his thoughts. Very close to his heart.
3: I loved my own son, John. But not a bit more than Abe. My mind, that little I had, seemed to be like his. Abram was always a good son to me. Even when he grew to manhood. He didn't forget. I remember the last time he came. It was snowing hard It just terribly cold. But it was my birthday. He didn't want to disappoint me. He came. That's just where you're sitting now. He looked so tired. The
1: strain of being president all but wrecked his health.
3: Yes, that was plain to see. And he seemed to have strange feelings that he hadn't long to live. I didn't understand. But when he left me, he took my hands in his and said, this may be the last time we will see each other.
1: I've set myself the task of writing the story of his life. I think folks will want to know in the years to come the little I can do to acknowledge a fine friendship. Abe was a
3: good boy. I can say what not one mother in a thousand can say. Abe never gave me a cross word.
0: And so passed from the marching ranks of the American Cavalcade to camp in the bivouac of the immortal dead,
1: one Abraham Lincoln,
0: Of broadcasting system